again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father, as we bow these just few moments before we would open your word and talk about your word, we want to talk to you about your word. And we would like to ask you specifically that you would speak to both our minds and our hearts. And if we hear things that seem to be contrary to what would seem natural or normal, I pray that we would be very wise and careful to discern from your word if this really is, and if it is what your word declares, that regardless of how hard maybe to understand, that we would say, I embrace. We also pray for our hearts, that our hearts might be open, that in such a way that we would even invite you to prick our hearts, and if we hear things that, that uh, make us feel a bit uncomfortable, even because of our own practices and lives and beliefs, that we feel are, are not appropriate. I pray, Father, that we would be willing to, to bear the, the pain that conscience can bring to us for our own good and that we might find ourselves saying yes to you at the end of the day. So grant this to be a, a very profitable time, we ask, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain beliefs that Every one of us have, none of us are exceptions, we have beliefs that we would assume are very firm and solid beliefs. But in reality, are probably not as firm as we would think that they are. There are doubts that have fractured that belief system, at least enough that there are consequences that come from that. As a result, adverse effects that we experience on an ongoing basis and never ever think about tracing the connection from that experience to a belief that's been fractured. It happens over and over. For instance, if I ask you the question, do you believe God is a loving God? Do you believe you matter to God? And many would say, I believe God is a loving God. I believe I matter to God. Now, our experience is that we are having spiritual insecurities about our eternal security, about is God going to accept me if, and this, that, and the other. And and if we could really see with with full clarity, we'd realize that there is a a fracture in our belief system that has to do with our belief in God's love and that we really do matter to God. Or perhaps it has to do with our belief. If I were to ask, do you believe God is fair? Oh, sure, I think God's fair. Uh, yeah, God's perfect. He's fair. But for some reason, we are struggling with bitterness about the experiences of life that we're having, and we're, we feel a little estranged from God to think that God is allowing these kind of things to happen in my life the way they're happening, and little do we realize that our belief system that God is really fair is maybe fractured more than we realize, and that there's a connection between the two. Or perhaps... Do you believe God is a forgiving God? Well, of course I think he's a forgiving God. But we live perhaps in fear of death, thinking I'm not sure if God's going to, 
Or when we sin, we're thinking, oh God, I'm not sure if I can ever have his forgiveness again. I don't know that he'll ever. And we realize maybe we don't believe as strongly what we think we believe. Or maybe we believe strongly in a belief that's not quite accurate about God. Or how about this one as the last one? Do you believe that lost people matter to God? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Scripture says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, if God would send his own son, absolutely lost people matter to God. But then if we looked at our experience of life and said, well, how many of us have in the last year invited somebody to enter into the truth of God's Word and join us at church or to come to something where they can be exposed to the Word of God and built a strategic friendship just for the basis of trying to influence them to see the beauty of God's kingdom and what there is to offer. And, and many of us would say, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've, that's, been, that's been my experience. Well, I wonder why the, to the degree we believe that lost people matter to God and, he, and we love God, assuming that be the case, then that becomes a compelling thing to think, God, how can you use me? How can I be available to, because I know they matter to you and for that reason it matters to me. So there it is a connection. And we could go on and on with all the different connections. What this series is really about is trying to take the experience of our life and understand why our experience is the way it is as we trace it back to a belief system, in this case, about the gospel. We're calling the series The Story, The Story of the Gospel. And so what we're saying is there are many, many of us that say, do you believe in the gospel? Of course I believe in the gospel. That God's the good news, that he's done good things. Oh, absolutely, I believe it. But I'm trying to kind of show how some of us might be holding on to a counterfeit gospel. Some may actually embrace the authentic gospel, good. But maybe some of us have moved to a distorted view of that authentic. And maybe some of our experiences of life, spiritually speaking, are related to that fragmented view of the gospel. So what we decided to do in this series is let's go deep into the gospel. Let's really figure out, let's ask some strategic questions about the gospel. And to do so, I've chosen three parables that God used as three in one, or Jesus used as three in one in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 15. The parable of the lost, of the lost uh, sheep, shepherd, a hundred sheep, one goes astray. And uh, the shepherd leaves the 99, goes, looks for the one, finds the one, comes home rejoicing. Second story, the lost coin. The woman has 10 coins. She loses one coin. She loses that coin. She goes searching for that coin until she finds it. And then she rejoices that she's found the coin. Third story where we're really laboring our time in this parable, and it's the parable of the two lost sons, often called the prodigal parable. Well, the story really is more about the elder brother than the younger brother. And again, the story is the younger brother comes to the father and says, hey, give me my inheritance. I want it now. And, and uh, the dad gives him the inheritance. He goes off to a distant country. He squanders his possessions. He has to become a hired hand, feeding swine. He realizes, hey, I'm not eating as well as the hired hands under my dad. I'm going to go back to dad and I'm going to say, look, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. And I'll, you know, maybe he'll let me just be as a hired hand. The elder brother, who represents, by the way, the scribes and the Pharisees, as the younger brother represents the guys that were the tax gatherers and sinners, the wicked of the day. 
The elder brother sees what's happening. Here's the music of a celebration going on. What had happened was the son had come home, and the father sees him at a distance and tells his people, hey, go put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf, bring in his friends, let's celebrate. My son has come home, and he sees his son, he greets him, and he kisses him. Well, the elder brother hears all the commotion, asks what's happening, and they fill him in and say, oh, your brother's come home, and this is what your dad's done, and, and he says, I don't get this. The father even comes to him and says, son, come on in, celebrate with us. And he is angry, the text says. He says, how can you do this when I have kept your commands all this time? I've not done any of that riotous living, blowing the inheritance like your other son has, and you never celebrated me. And he said the son would not go in when the father invited him. And there's the story. Now, in light of that, of that story, we're asking questions such as this. We're asking the question, what is the story? And so we began our series with that question. What really is it? And we boiled the authentic story of the gospel down to a little trilogy of statements that I've used for years. It came to my mind as I was trying to present the gospel one day, how can I make this as clear and simple as possible? And these three thoughts just, you know, I've used ever since. They've been so important to me and I think to many of you. And It's understanding that we lost it all. He did it all and we get it all. There's the gospel. And then we gave the distorted view and the counterfeit view in comparison. But that's the, that's the answer of what is the story. He did everything. Then we addressed the question starting two weeks ago, who needs the story? Who really needs the story? Well, the, you know, the answer to that question in the counterfeit version was bad people, and Jesus came along, and he redefined sin. And he says, no, it's actually, by the fact of the redefinition of sin, what sin really is, it's actually bad people and good people need the gospel. Then we asked the question, we said, uh, who will embrace the gospel, the story, which is where we come today? And so in light of that, maybe it would be good if I just give you last week uh, what we said, the three thoughts about uh, this idea of who needs the story. And here were the three truths we tried to communicate from God's Word. One, that all people are alienated from God. Number two, lost people express their alienation from God in different ways. Prideful rebel, one approach. Religious moralist, the other. And then number three, religious moralists are worse off than prideful rebels. And so now today we ask another very important question, and that is, well, who will embrace the story? Uh, let me assure you that the counterfeit gospel has an answer, and it is so close to the real, it deceives many of us. Here's the answer the counterfeit gospel gives. It says, oh, those who embrace the story are those who, number one, confess that they're wrong, and number two, they are remorseful for what they've done wrong. There it is. Well, now Jesus is going to redefine now not only sin, that sin is not just the outward, but it's the inward as well. And therefore, is true of all people. We lost it all. Now he's going to say, I'm going to have to redefine repentance. And repentance is, yes, 
saying I'm wrong. I've left home. And oh, yes, it is saying, I am so sorry. I wish I hadn't left home. It is. But he says, no, it's also coming home. You have to come home. That's repentance. It is coming home. It's coming to one's senses, as the text will say. So I'd like for us to, uh, to read Luke 15, 17 through 19. And this is what it says. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up, go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now, I think Jesus helps us to understand repentance in this parable by teaching us two things. We're going to look at one this week and the second next week. So just the first of the two points in your outline. And let's look at that first one together. It says, when one repents, one wills to stop running from God in an effort to control his or her own life. Now, what Jesus is teaching us is that sin is not merely breaking the rules. Listen to this. Sin is breaking the rules or keeping the rules in an effort to control my own life. Do you hear that? See, it's the issue of control. It's not what you do or don't do. It's the control that causes us to do or not to do. See, the reality is, is that it's very possible to keep the law and say, I'm keeping the law because I'm saying to you, God, I'm in charge of my life, and I can be my Savior. At least I can aid you in what you've done for my redemption. Therefore, I need to do this, and I will do it, and if I do it, it's going to help me in the process. The obvious, too, is that, well, Lord, I, you know, I'm in charge of my life, and I'm running away from home, and I don't want home, and I'm going way out there, and I'll do whatever I want to do, and I'm in charge. I want to be in control of my life. Now, there are many different ways that we do that. It's not just one simple pattern. If you look at the, at the parables, you see the first parable is a sheep goes astray. Well, why does a, a sheep go astray? If you know anything about sheep, they're very, very foolish animals. They do foolish things. And so they're going to go out there and get devoured without being with the shepherd and the other sheep. They have no chance. Very foolish. But then you've got the story, on the other hand, you've got the the reality, there's the, the woman with the coin. And the woman with the coin, she has these coins. She didn't, I mean, it wasn't a foolish thing. It was maybe a careless thing that she lost her coin. I just wasn't thinking, where is it? Where is it? There's some of us that leave home very carelessly. It's not that we're just doing blatantly foolish stuff. We're just careless and we leave home. Some of us, to the degree that we don't even know there's a coin missing. We don't know there's a sheep missing. We just, it's not even a, it's not even a factor. Then, of course, you come to this third one, and you've got, you've got the, the younger brother, and, and certainly his issue is rebellion. I mean, he's flat out rebelling, not just doing foolish things, but saying, I don't want you, Father. 
I want what you got, but I don't want you. I'm out of here. And then you got the elder brother. The elder brother, it's a totally different story for him. It's pride. It's nothing but pride. And so there are a thousand ways that you and I can leave home. Now let's look, first of all, at the younger son, just for a moment. Let's look at verse 12. Verse 12, the, the son says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them, meaning he divided the wealth, here's his portion, and he gave it to the younger brother and said, go. Now what the son is saying is, give me my share now. I'm ready to leave. I don't want you controlling my life. Now keep in mind, he's running away but he's really not broken any laws, has he? There's not a law anywhere that says you can't go to your father and ask for your inheritance. There's no law written that says, and when you get your inheritance, if your father gives it, you can't go away and and use it the way you choose to use it. I mean, it's not like he's a murderer or a rapist. He's not done something so bad, except for the fact of relational treason. I like the way Keller talks about in his book, The Prodigal God, that I keep encouraging you to read. He says, this is what he's really saying. I want to live as if you were dead. I want your things, but I do not want your control of my life. Well, the truth of it is, the the son already, it it was his. And when he says, give me my inheritance, he already had an inheritance. It was there to be given. It was his. So he really had everything he needed. The difference was the father was providing out of that inheritance as he would need it. Now he's saying, "Uh uh-uh, what I don't want is I don't want your control. That's what I don't want. I, I, I got everything I need except independence and I just want to be free from your control now if we if we look at the older son it's a whole different story look at Luke 15 25 through 28 there it says now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he became angry and was not willing to go in. He wouldn't go in. He's saying, you know what? I've obeyed and now you're not treating me fairly. I don't like the way you control things around here, Dad. Fairness, in my mind, would be, and you're not being that, therefore, I don't know that you're fair, and therefore, I'm not coming in. The father says, come on in. No, I'm not coming in. I'm too angry. I'm not going to do it. Do you know there are many of us here that are really struggling with anger with God right now? It's what's keeping us out of relationship. It's just an anger. It's like, you're not treating me the way I think you should treat me. But we have to understand this, that that now Jesus is introducing this concept of motive that the the scribes and the Pharisees, it was kind of foreign to them to think of motive. They're thinking of just obey, 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 obey. And he comes along and he says, you know, you guys, you think about what? What I'm focused on is why. 
Not what you do or what you don't do, but why do you do what you do? And why do you not do what you should do? So he is just looking for that motive. The younger brother comes to his senses. The older brother, he says, no, I still believe I deserve better. I'm not coming in. Let me ask you a question. Here would be the question. Are any of you right now running from God in an effort to control your own life right now? So that when God says, I'm asking you to do something that you really don't want to do, that you go, no. I'll do a lot of things, but I'm not going to do that. Why? Because God, I'm convinced if, if I do that and put you in control in that arena, I don't think my life is going to be quite as good as it would be if I control my own life. Or maybe when God says, I want you to accept something that I'm putting into your life experience. I know it's not pleasant. Is there not always pleasant things that come our way in a broken world? But I've promised to use it to work together for good in your life, to bring you to something that you could never have outside of experiences. Will you trust me with this? And we go, no. In fact, if you give that to me, I'm going to be mad with you forever. I'm not going to believe this. I, don't, I think if I can control me right now and my circumstances, I think I'm better off. Or what about when God says, hey, I want you to give up something that I have provided for you, but I think it's time to give that up right now. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's an activity. And all of a sudden, we go, no, God. I can't give that up because I know that I will not be as satisfied in life. I will not have the same sense of fulfillment and joy and privilege in life. I'd rather do it myself than have to follow what you're saying now. Young people, how about sex outside of marriage? Survey your friends and your, if you believe it's not appropriate, you understand the scriptures that say, no, I've got something far better for you, wait and maybe if celibate, never, but I promise you, if you'll trust me, it'll be better than any other plan that you could have. And you know that everybody you know is going to say, you're crazy. You are absolutely crazy. But what do you say there? Do you say, you know what? I, I think you're right, and therefore, I think I'm going to go along with, I think this will make me happier. And I bet I'll have a better marriage one day with someone else because of having sexual relationship with someone other. Or maybe this is the one, and it's going to be the one anyway. Oh, I bet. I bet by violating what God has said, I bet you that this is going to make my marriage and my relationship far richer having gone outside what God has to say. Or what about lust? You know what, pornography, if I just look at pornography, I'm going to be really satisfied. I'm going to, for the long haul, this is going to be for me a rich experience that I will always find so good for me and so satisfying. And God says, no, 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 no. Lust is not for you. When you do lust, pull away and admit it's wrong and come back to the Father. No, 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 no. I think I can be happier 
in a life of lust. And it just goes on and on. It's, it's mainly just saying, I want to be in control. Now, what about those of us that are the, are the close at home? We leave home too, don't we? We leave home in different ways, and we, we look at things like this. We say, well, you know, what about, you know what, I just really believe. I know God's Word says about there's a Lord's Day. It's in the Ten Commandments, and we should keep one day special, and we ought to really honor the Lord with it. And, you know, we all have different opinions, and that's okay as long as we're just heart before the Lord. We're saying, what you, what's right? I want to use this day in a way that honors you. And As opposed to... I don't, I don't even think about it. You know, I do whatever I want to do. It's just like another day. And yeah, I know, it's, but it's not a big deal. It's not so big. I mean, it's just a tiny thing. It's not like I'm hurting anybody. It's not like, and the reality is, is I think if I structure my seventh day, which is really the first day, if I really structure the first day the way I want to structure it and do what I want to do, I think I'm going to be a far better off than, than following a law that God's given to his people for all these years. I just think it'll be better. Or giving, to say, I know that you ask of me a portion, and, but you know what? I don't deny you provided it, but I do believe that if I hang on to it and use it the way I want to use it, I think I'm going to be better off. I think just to stay outside the home on this issue might be a better deal for me. You see, it's all control. It's just an issue of control, and that's what Jesus is trying to get to with these scribes and Pharisees. He's saying, you've got to understand, once you do that which is keeping the law or breaking the law, if it's in order that I might control where I'm going instead of have God control me, then that's leaving home. And that's what he's trying to underscore to these guys. You know what my struggle is? My struggle is rationalizing. I have a prompting that I should or shouldn't do something. I say, that is so minor. It's really not a big deal. Or my bigger problem than that is to go through life and not really through the day and not really invite God to search me. As Psalm 139 says, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And Lord, show me if there's any wicked way within me. Because remember, I'm the elder brother. The elder brother's worse off. Why? I don't even see where I've left the home. I'm thinking I'm in the home when I'm outside the home. Until I'm then outside and willing enough to say, Lord, I want you to search my heart and, and show me my wicked ways. And then the Lord goes, oh, and I go, oh, there's a little conscience on this. I, that's small, but oh, it's big, isn't it? It's relational. And then what do I do with that? See, I want us to understand the Christian life. We got such a wrong idea that the Christian life is staying in the home, that, that us good Christians, we stay in the home and we never leave. We stay with the Father, we never leave. That is a lie of all lies. You and I leave the home every day day many, 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 many times. Every time we choose to control, anytime we choose to go against his law, anytime we choose, we're, we're leaving the home. That's as simple as that. The problem is we need to make sure for some of us that are outside the home and don't even know it that we do what the psalmist does and say, I invite you to search my heart and my mind and show me Lead me to the way everlasting. You know what that is? That's back into the arms of a loving father. That's all that is. He says, that's what life is. See, the Christian life is really this. Growing in the Christian life is not, okay, I'm now grown up, so I stay in the house. No, I'm still leaving the house. But early in my Christian faith, I wander off a good bit. 
And then, oh, I come to my senses, and I have a long, painful journey to come back and consequences that deal with that. But then I'm growing as a Christian. I learn as I get, you know what it is really? It's identifying more quickly that I've left the home, not leaving as far perhaps as I was leaving, but more readily and quickly identifying that I have left home and then doing everything required, which is one, yes, confess, yes, remorseful. And then number three, come back home. That's what repentance is. It's coming back home to the Father and saying, hey, I was trusting something other than your love, your provision, your care, your forgiveness. I'm really sorry, and I'm glad to be back home. That's all it is. And as we learn to do that in high school, I learned it. I learned it as spiritual breathing. You exhale as you identify you're outside the home. You exhale in confession. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. And then you inhale. You walk back home, and you're full of the Spirit, and you invite God to recapture your heart and your life and to tell Him your love is enough now. I'm sorry I looked for something other. And that's the Christian life, just learning to, to kind of tighten the distance and to quicken the repeat coming home. We never quit leaving the house. Never, never, never. That's what the Christian life is. Now, in light of all of that, I'd like to close with a truth that's maybe a little hard for some of us to grasp. For you that this is the first time to ever even hear this thought or clearly hear it, just let it marinate in your thinking and look at God's Word over time. But I'm going to suggest the truth I'm about to share with you is one that will change your experience in your relationship with God. I want you to look with me at verse 20. Verse 20 says, So he, the young son, got up, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I'm going to talk about this more next week, but I want to introduce you this week. The kiss of the father. Now here is the question. What caused him to come home? What caused him to come to his senses? Well, he came to his senses in a sense because of his experience and what was happening, and he saw that this really doesn't pay off. That's why he's in one sense better off than the elder brother. But there would be many that would think, well, you know, what brought him home was his repentance. You know what really brought him home? Yeah, it was repentance, but there was something that preceded. You know what it is? It's the love of the Father. You see, that man had to believe in the love of his father. I know it's a parable. It's not a real story. But this is true in Scripture throughout, as you're about to see. You see, it's not our repentance that brings us to God. It's the love of God that brings us to repentance. That's the great beauty. In other words, it's the kiss of the father. You see, that son, he knew. He knew the love of his father. Uh, he foolishly and rebelliously, he leaves. But he knew the love of the Father. If he didn't, he'd be saying, I tell you that, now that I've done all I've done, well, I'm never going to see my dad again. I'm away from him. I don't ever want to see him. He'll walk me across. Man, he's going to beat me up. He's going to throw me in jail. Who's gonna, who knows what he's going to do to me? I'm, man, I'm staying away. No, no, no. He knew the Father, and he said, I'm going back to my Father. But he didn't know the extent of the love of the Father. And that's the story of many of us. 
We believe God's loving God, but we don't even know the extent. He thinks he's probably going to become as a hired hand. And the father says, no, you're getting a kiss from me, son. And I'm just going to pour my love all over you. You've come home. That's all I care about. You've come home. You notice the shepherd in the first parable? How'd that sheep get found? Did the sheep decide to come home? No, the shepherd drew him in. The coin, how'd the coin get found? Oh, there was the woman who had to go searching for it. The story of Scripture is God searching out for his people. It's him loving us first. So here's how it says it in 1 John 4. It says, we love because he first loved us. How about in the, in the book of John, chapter 15, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Wow. See, that, that hurts the paradigm many of us hold about our relationship with God because we really don't all believe that we lost it all, that he did it all, and therefore we get it all. Or how about a third text? In the middle of a thought in verse 25, Paul in 2 Timothy 2 says, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Do you know the Scriptures say in Romans 2 verse 4 that the kindness of God leads us to repentance? See, love precedes repentance. Kiss before repentance. It's always God's love for us. You see, to believe otherwise is to believe that we lost a lot and that he did a lot. And therefore, our love will never be what it needs to be because it'll be, it'll be, it's not the same. Boy, he who has forgiven much loves much. He who has loved much loves much. It's God first. He did it all and we get it all. Let me tell you, there's no greater news. For you that are seekers, you go to the cross of Christ. You go to the cross, and there's the love of God, that he would shed his blood and die, send his son to die, and then Jesus would actually go to the cross when he didn't have to. Let me tell you, that's the kiss of the Father right there. And it's when we get to know God in that way, in his redemptive love, that's what causes the sheep. That causes them to say, wow, you've come for me. I see your love. That's what causes the younger brother to say, I'm willing to go home. And had he seen the love of the father in a perfect way, he would have said, I'm running home, and I, I know he's going to celebrate my coming home. That's the way we need to get to know our God. Every time we come home, whether we're just outside, it was lust. Oh, it was just this. It, it was, oh, it was way out there, and it was sexual promiscuity. It was, oh, it was way out there. It was drugs. It was way out there. And look what I did to that person. If know this, that every time we come home, it's the love of the Father. And if we don't see that, then we haven't yet understood the gospel. That's the love of the Father. Well, God knows the motive. And we go, oh, I'll go out here and I can come home and God will hug me. I'll, I'll run out here because when I come home, God will love me, hug me. No, no, remember, he knows the heart. And when he sees the heart saying, it's wrong and I'm remorseful and I'm coming home, Get ready for a big old fat kiss. That's what's going to happen. It's the only thing that happens. That's the love of the Father. Let's pray.
Our Father, I pray that we would recognize your love, and many of us here might be connecting experience with belief right now and maybe be saying that I haven't even been acknowledging I'm away from home. Some of us are uh, maybe experiencing an unusual sense of your tugging at the heartstrings of our conscience, saying that, boy, this or that, I'm, I'm, I'm living conveniently and okay outside of your home. There'd be some of us here, Father, that would say right now that we've come to our senses by your grace, and you've drawn me back by seeing your love, and I'm just saying I'm coming home right now. For those who have come home for the first time, God, may they experience the joy of this celebration, knowing even the angels in heaven right now rejoicing. For those of us that have wandered and every day keep going outside and then still say, Lord, I'm coming home. Thank you that this party never ends. The hugs and the kiss never fail. But we're grateful. We're blessed among all people, and we say thank you. And so we ask it all in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.